Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. Happy New Year. This is our first episode back after the holidays. We hope you had a fantastic holiday and you're feeling less stressed than we are. <laughs> uh, so again, for those of you just joining us who got a brand new device and this is the first time you've downloaded the podcast, uh, Nonprofit Everything is a question and answer podcast and Stacy and I do our best to answer questions that you write in. So uh, the only way this works is if you send us questions and you can do that on the Nonprofit Everything webpage, you can do that on the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits webpage. And by the way, Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits is the presenting organization. They are the ones that make this possible. So thank you to them. Uh, send those questions to us and we will do our darndest to answer them. Or we'll bring in the experts who, who know better than we do. We do that a lot. Yeah. We might do that today. Yeah. Okay. I attended a seminar recently where they shared great leaders often spend time at the end of the year reflecting on the past and envisioning the future. This really struck me. Do either of you have year-end routines or New Year's routines that work for you and that you'd be willing to share? Well, I'm a bit of a nerd with this stuff. So I have to just first, and I hope people listening might get a chuckle out of this. First, I got to I gotta share a little personal story. So for years, I was like this psycho about New Year's resolutions. I mean, to the point where I came up with categories of what are my work-related New Year's resolutions, what are my um, health-related, what are my spiritual-related. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Every category you could think of, and I made my poor husband, I would sit there and say, oh, the, you know, the New Year's coming, so like, let's sit there and, and, and go through this activity. And he literally wanted to blow his brains out. He, <laughs> he hated it. Anyways, and then I found, after doing that for a few years and realizing it was a complete exercise in futility, I was like, yeah, that was just like a massive to-do list that really had no substance behind it. So I now take a different approach um, and don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but believe in setting maybe one or two really big goals for the year, um, but breaking that down into little micro actions, micro tasks I can take every day for like the first month. And then after that month is over, what little micro actions am I going to take toward that the next month? And it's amazing if you think of like one little thing you can do every day to get to whatever that goal is, how you make this progress. And it's worked tremendously for me. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I was thinking, um, I like to take a piece of paper and I divide it into three columns. And one is like, what would I leave behind in 2018, what is, you know, sort of the second column, um, what would I take from 2018 to 2019? And the third is sort of a creation column. What, what do I want to create new in 2019? And for me, that's been a good reflective process because it really makes you think about sort of, I don't know, lessons learned, um, things maybe you do different. So yeah, what would you leave behind, whether it's a bad behavior or, whatever, negative self-talk or something much more tangible and practical. But, you know, it's, it, I think it really helps to sort of go through that exercise. So um, hopefully those ideas help. What about you, Andy? What do you do? 
Nothing. None of the above. I, I think I'm a, a little You're bit like, like your husband. Yeah, I think you might be. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, it reminds me of like the like the typical response to Valentine's Day, which is like the reason I don't do anything on Valentine's Day is because like because I do things every single day. Right? Oh, right. oh you little. <laughs> and, and the truth is, it's because I'm really That's lazy. That's a scapegoat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just really lazy. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't have any special thing at the end of the year. Um, I think for, you know, from the nonprofit perspective of like the, the planning cycle is to make sure that you do have a, a planning cycle kind of written out and that you're following it. Um, the last thing that you want to do is go, oh gosh, we need to do a strategic plan and have that like surprise you or, or whole oh, gosh, the budget is coming up soon. We need to work on that. And you need to like, make sure that there are activities that you're doing every single month that kind of keep you rolling on that path. Yeah. And if adding in sort of reflection or like, like th- that should be part of that planning cycle anyway, it was like looking back and seeing what worked and what didn't work. I think that's really important. I'm a big believer. So back to those three columns of sort of what would you leave behind? What would you take with you from last year? And what do you want to create this new year? It's a great activity to do like at this, at around this time of year, you know, at the start of a new year, um, with a team at a, at a staff meeting or, you know, just talking through it because it's amazing how we all just get busy and right. We're like the, you know, hamster on the hamster wheel that just keeps running. And sometimes it's like, okay, let's take a second and just see what, what worked for us as a team, as an organization last year. And, you know, what do we need to change? So I, I'm a big believer in it, but I'm also probably my husband would say a little cheesy about all this stuff and corny. So I guess, I, I guess I get to wear the corny hat on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I, I do think you're right. But the, the, the interesting thing about nonprofits, one of the things we say all the time is that nonprofits are like business on hard mode. Yeah. Like normally you have a business, a business the same size as a nonprofit. So a business with the revenues of about a million a year, say just for example, they don't do strategic plans. No. They don't do audits. No. They, there's all this stuff that nonprofits have to do. And in, in, in one case it's good because it's good to sit and reflect and go, okay, like, is what we're doing actually trying to solve the problem we're trying to solve? It's yeah. like, think about it at that really root level. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's, I think nonprofits are, we're way ahead on this kinds of stuff. Like, Woohoo. Yeah. Virtual fist bump. Our nonprofit has an annual budget of $550,000, and we can only afford a part-time development director or a grant person. Is it unrealistic to expect one person to fill both roles? If I have to decide, which role is a higher priority? So my first answer is yes, it's unrealistic. (laughs) Um, Okay, so there's, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. So, So first and foremost, I think those are two very different skill sets and usually two very different people, right? I have found it very rare that you find someone who is a development director who is also great at grants. They do exist. They're very rare. Um, Generally, it's two very different sort of personality profiles, different styles. Um, Usually a development person professional is more outgoing, more wants to be external facing Um, grants. People tend to be a bit more introverted and, in, you know, inward facing. So, so first and foremost, you're sort of comparing apples to oranges, even though you're like, oh, they're all bringing us money, right? But they're different. So I think you've got to kind of realize that nuance. Um, and then I think, I mean, really to decide, because those are two very different, like I think the, the, the person asking this question, maybe you can ask yourself some questions like, what exactly, like let's get really tactical here. What exactly do I need done, Right. 
am I looking for someone to go out there and build relationships in the community? Am I looking instead for someone to handle sort of like our database management or create a database because we don't have one yet? We're a small organization. Um, Figure out how we properly acknowledge and thank donors. So some of those are like they're different things. Or is it truly just about grants because are we totally grant driven? And is that where we're going in the future that it's just about grant reporting and grant writing and finding new grants? So I just think first it's sort of really asking yourself the questions of what is it that's needed, right? What's in line with sort of where you're going strategically? And then that helps you figure out, is it a development position or a grants position that I need to fill? Um, And I guess I'm also thinking like, so many times people say, I need to hire a development director. Development directors are expensive. I mean, this isn't an inexpensive hire, right? Right. And how many times do they hire a development director that really could have been like a development coordinator because they're really looking for someone to do more of the admin work? And perhaps in an organization this size, the executive director is probably going to be very outward facing. I don't know. I mean, I'm just sort of thinking through this. Like, so perhaps it's more of that support system to help the executive director in their development role with their board. Um, And I guess, so I think it's also being crystal clear, is this a director level position at an organization this size, I'm going to guess not. I'm going to guess it's probably something a little a little less costly and in a lower level position. Yeah, this is, this is why people like Stacy so much. Like that is the most polite way I've ever heard anyone say that you have not done your homework. <laughs> 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 like the fact that you're asking this question phrased this way means that you have no idea what you want or what you're doing. You haven't thought about your business model yet. Like what, what, what do you want this person to do? Cause I suspect if you like the, when you, as you're typing it, you were thinking like, I apologize to this person too. I don't mean to be mean, but as you're typing it, you're thinking what I really want is money to just sort of magically appear. Absolutely. And so I'm going to hire whatever person it is that gets that money to magically appear. And, and that's probably a very bad decision yeah. is to pick something based on that. What you need to figure out is what's your business model? Right. Like, where's this money coming from? Is it coming from the community? Is it, are there grantors out there that have funding that are, that is earmarked for the kind of thing that you want to do? Um, what's your, what does the revenue look like now? Where is it coming from now? How are you expanding? Like, what's your, what's your plan? Tell me what your plan is and give us some sense of like what direction you're going to go. And then you're going to get your answer. And so is it going to be record keeping that you need to deal with? Or, or do you need some, like maybe, Maybe you're somebody like me who just like is not that friendly, to be honest, and wouldn't be a good development director because, you know, I as an ED, like I would just be sort of grumpy and technical all the time and like (laughs) I have to go to lunch again. That's awful. Right. Maybe that's you. And that's why you want to hire a development director is because you want somebody who likes going to lunch. Right. Yeah. But I don't don't know what that I don't know that that's the case. So I guess, you know. I, I can't answer your question, which role is a higher priority because you need to do your homework first. Right, right. And I also think to, you know, to piggyback off off what you just said, I mean, it's also thinking a little bit about um, is, you know, not only is it, is it, I mean, it's your business model, right? It's your plan of where you're headed, but there's also some organizations. There's a great article out there, and if I can find it, we'll link to it. But it's a great article that talks about some nonprofits are more, um, have an easier mission to attract grant funding and others have an, a mission that is a bit more of a donor, individual donor giving kind of mission, right? That is tougher because maybe it's it's tougher to measure, right? Outcomes um, that you need to put in some of the more formal um, grant funding proposals, but 
but that perhaps it's that really touchy-feely feel-good thing, right? Like sneakers on dogs, whatever, you know, some random thing <laughs> that people love dogs and right. hey, we all like sneakers, whatever. But the point is, is like, I think it's also about thinking that t- kind of ties into your business model. What sort of organization are you and are there natural pathways to getting that funding? I'm, I'm thinking particularly about an organization, a lot of organizations that are advocacy related and advocacy based really struggle to get individual donors. It's just not a mission that generally speaking, you you tend to see a lot of individual donors go toward, but there are a ton of foundation grants that, and they probably would disagree about a ton, but let's just say there are more foundation grants and there are other opportunities for larger sort of think tank type organizations that really want to help support advocacy efforts, right, around families and children or whatever the case is. And so mm-hmm. it's, I think it's also about thinking about what is your model and like, is there sort of more of a natural tendency or proclivity to attract one kind of donor over another? And that might also help answer that question. All right, everybody. Well, I I am excited to have Greg Wilkin back with us today from Endunamu Consulting. Did I say that properly, Greg? You did, yes. Okay, uh, I sometimes uh, butcher that name. Props to you. Most people don't get it correct. Okay, well, hey, I, I, I'm learning, right? But Greg is an HR guru and uh, one of our really active listeners, and we appreciate that. He's been a, a past special guest. And uh, he reached out to Andy and I and said, hey, I I heard your episode um, and had a bit of a difference, maybe not even a difference of opinion, but some more flavor to add to your response. So we wanted to invite him back. And just as a kind of a recap, the question at the time um, basically revolved around um, what to do with a nonprofit in a situation where your nonprofit executive director and a board member are dating. And for those who may recall or may have listened to that episode, Andy and I sort of talked around the issue quite some time, never really came up with a, uh, for sure, you know, sort of a definitive answer. But we did talk a bit about, you know, is it is it a nepotism policy? Is there room for some conversation? And so anyways, with that said, that gives you a quick little recap of where we were. Greg, any thoughts on this on this topic? Sure. Thanks, uh, Stacy. And, and before I get, uh, begin, just Happy New Year to you and Andy and to oh, all your listeners. You. Hope is off to a good start. So, uh, yeah, so um, the the question, as I recall, had, you know, as a board member who was uh, in some sort of a romantic relationship with the uh, uh, with the executive director. And I, I should preface everything by saying that I don't, I don't, you know, I don't intend to be a killjoy. I'm certainly all for uh, relationships and um and I th- because I think a lot of HR professionals, the first uh, response is, you know, a absolutely no dating in the workplace policy, which frankly, I think is not real realistic. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people meet their, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouses in the workplace. So um, I don't want this to come across as, as just raining on somebody's parade. But I do kind of approach things from what possibly could go wrong and then working my way backwards. So. I think in this particular uh, situation, it's important to recognize what some of the risks are and then to build in contingencies for some of those risks. And And I've kind of identified them in three separate areas, the possibility of a sexual harassment claim, uh, the possibility of a conflict of interest between the ED and the board member, and then finally, and, and most seriously, but also most um, probably rarely, is, a, is an instance of workplace violence. 
Um, and I'll talk about that. That's, uh, you know, it's certainly the most serious, but probably the most unlikely to happen. But um, I think the potential for a, you know, a sexual harassment claim is one that, uh, that this organization or any should, uh, should be concerned about. And the, and the reason is that um, when relationships are fine, there's no problem. But um, inevitably, some relationships end, and sometimes they end in you know acrimonious ways. And what was working at one point no longer is. And then you know people remember things differently. So in this particular case, if the ED and the board member have a falling out, um, there may be a potential claim by the ED uh, that it was not a consensual relationship, or it was uh, there was pressure. Um, most most organizations probably have a uh, sexual harassment policy that prevents um, supervisors from entering into intimate relationships with subordinates. To the extent that the ED here reports to the uh, board, you could consider that to be a reporting relationship. And if yeah. if the organization is holding people in, on the staff accountable for those types of relationships it may raise a possible, well, how come we can't do it and uh, it's okay for the ED and the board? Well, yeah, I'm thinking about the power dynamic, right? I mean, there's sure. this power dynamic with the board and the governing, the board is a governing body, right, that, that you know, hires and evaluates and potentially fires a, an executive director. So I could see even more so, you know, when you think about a sexual harassment claim, I could see it easily going into an executive director that's that, that would could position it as I felt coerced to get into this relationship. It was, you know, whatever that, that word is, right, of, or, or pressured, and I didn't want to risk losing my job, right? It could get really sticky really quickly. It absolutely could, yes. And uh, to your point, if at any point, uh, let's say there are performance problems with the executive director and the board has to uh, put uh, him or her on some sort of discipline performance improvement plan, and there is a relationship, it could uh, be perceived as retaliatory or mm. so it, it right. as uh, you I, in the in the first podcast on this when you use the word sticky, which I think is a, is a good <laughs> <It's> word <sticky. laughs> it, it does raise a lot of sticky issues. Um, and the uh, I mean, the other potential problem in kind of the sexual harassment realm is if um, there may be a perception by other senior members of the staff that the executive director is getting preferential treatment because he or she is in this relationship with the board. So mm -hmm. it may cause stickiness or friction with say, the CFO or the chief development officer, the other senior members of the team, because the executive director has uh, uh, a relationship with somebody on the board, which leads to the potential area around conflict of interest. And I think you and Andy touched on that uh, the first time. But um, a number of issues in, in that is, you know, whose interests really does the board member have in mind? Is it the relationship or is it the mission of the organization? Uh, raises issues of confidentiality. Um, if they're in a relationship, they're most likely discussing work. People in relationships tend to talk about work a lot. Um, so are they having conversations that are, the rest of the board isn't privy to? Mm -hmm. uh, what's being shared both ways, information Absolutely. from the board to uh, the ED and the staff? 
and then from the staff to uh, the board. Let's say, for example, the executive director is, is having uh, performance problems with one of his or her leadership team and yeah. shares that with this particular board member, but not the full board. Yeah. It, you know, it just raises a possible of where are the interests. Well, and I know we, during the, the first episode, uh, when we t- touched on this, we talked a little bit about, you know, when you think of conflict of interest and you think of the definition, so many times it's tied to sort of a financial sort of component, right? Some financial benefit for somebody. But there's also sort of this whole conflict of loyalty, I like to call it, right? That is, this almost feels like it it is a complete conflict of loyalty because who is being loyal to whom, right? Hopefully the board member is keeping, is the loyalty needs to be to the organization, but that is so easy to let that you know, slip, right? I mean, how do you how do you keep that line? Things get sticky, and you have a, a important relationship. You have a close relationship with someone, and it's easy for that to override sort of the larger organizational good. Absolutely, and uh, and that's when the relationship is going well and positive. Let's say they, uh, you know, there's yeah. uh, they there's arguments, there's tension, there's friction between the two who are in the relationship. Then what happens to your loyalties. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it does raise a number of issues. And then, of course, the last one is, is workplace violence. And um, that's probably a very unlikely circumstance, but a lot, uh, you know, all the research shows that most violence uh, is a, a result of relationships, close family yeah. members, domestic violence, and uh, if you know if you have a relationship that ends and the person is still on the board and the executive director is still there, it's just it's just something to be uh, to be concerned about. So you know, one overriding question I think thought that Andy and I wrestled with during this episode was when you think of a lot of smaller nonprofits and ones that have just started, right? They they pull board members. Many of them have a board that is built based on family, based on relationships. It is everything that is sort of counter to what is what is ideal, right? And yet it's the reality of a nonprofit getting its start. So do you have any words of wisdom for those really tiny nonprofits listening to us that are maybe just starting and have their have a spouse that, you know, is in, in one role or a volunteer executive director and then a board chair that's the spouse or whatever it might look like? I mean... Sure. Well, plenty of words. I'm not sure how wise they will be. But, <laughs> but uh, and, and that's why I prefaced everything at the beginning with saying that having a, a, a no fraternization policy or no dating policy is just in most places unrealistic. I, I think really the best approach is to be very transparent. Everyone knows um, the relationships and uh, to be open about them. And then um, and then to take that into account. So it might mean a board member recusing him or herself from a, a decision, certainly if there's a relationship and uh, there's a discussion about compensation for the executive director, that would probably be something that the board member would need to recuse him or herself from. Uh, if it's possible to be off the board, if the nonprofit is big enough and, and board recruitment is not an issue, um, that may be a solution uh, for smaller nonprofits that might not, but if it's not possible to replace the board member, just being open about the relationship, 
um, recognizing where the loyalties are and then not being involved in those decisions that directly impact the uh, the executive director, compensation, benefits, uh, discipline, performance problems, and things like that. And that makes sense. You know, what, one of the things we had talked about was, you know, you oftentimes see in organizations a nepotism policy that's more tied to staff. Have you ever seen one, or, or is it conceivable to potentially expand that nepotism policy to also include board relationships and staff relationships, or any thoughts on that? Uh, I have, and, and in fact, when you, uh, when I first listened to the episode uh, uh, a while back, nepotism typically involves family members, so right. children, spouses. Um, in a relationship such as this one, it would probably be more covered by a conflict of interest policy okay. or even uh, the sexual harassment policy that defines who can be in intimate relationships and certainly prevents, uh, prohibits uh, a relationship between a a supervisor and a subordinate. Uh, there's a recent trend also in HR um, requiring people to disclose when they've become, uh, when they've entered into an intimate relationship so that, again, it can be taken into account. So could be in a nepotism policy, but okay. it might also be in a conflict of okay. interest, fraternization yes, policy. that's a hard <laughs> word to say. <laughs> And uh, and and then to the extent that they have a uh, harass, anti-harassment policy might also be found okay. there. So um, I guess the bottom line in all of this is to, number one, be very transparent and to have policies that take into account some of the contingencies I mentioned. Hopefully uh, there, will, there will never be a claim of harassment or conflict of interest and certainly uh, no instances of workplace violence. But but being kind of uh, forward-looking about what might happen and having policies that outline how the organization will react um, and what the expectations are really goes a long way to, to making sure that everyone um, doesn't, it, there aren't any sticky issues, I guess, so to speak. <laughs> <That's sticky laughs> Everything stuff. is smooth. Yes, let's stay away from the sticky stuff. <laughs> right. Well, we so appreciate your thoughts, your wisdom, sharing your experience and uh, knowledge with us. So um, great, great things to think about, things that obviously we didn't even go there so, because, gosh, you know, it, that's what it's all about, right? Get new perspectives, HR perspectives, and your background is, is perfect for this question. So thank you for being an active listener. Thank you for chiming in when you want to add something or, you know, correct something crazy we said. We really appreciate it. Well, th well, thank you for the invitation and for all the great work that you and Andy are doing for the community. Well, thank you. Take care, Greg. Thanks for joining us. And as a reminder, send us your questions. We'd love to answer them. You can check us out at nonprofiteverything.com. Submit your question. Uh, they are all anonymous unless you actually want us to share your name, but we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're hoping you enjoy this episode and look forward to, to next time with you. Mm -hmm.